Here now the news for July 4th, 1995. In the wake of widespread economic collapse, officials are reporting massive general strikes. In the 1970s, there was Clockwork Orange. Then in the 1980s came Mad Max and the Road Warrior. Now comes a startling new vision that takes you into the apocalypse and beyond. Back to the old drive-in you used to know and love. Only now, when the show is over, there is no way out. Dead end drive-in. Right now. Not getting through to you, am I, son? No cabs, no buses, no transport. So, you're here. You're here. Government decides what to do with you. Government, 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 This is your home. You can't tell me that I don't want to get out now. Yeah, but they know they can't, son. There's no future. No future. Come with me. God, Jimmy, can't you see? This is all we've got. Get out of here. And don't you try and stop me again. Now get out of the way! Hey! Like it or not. Dead end drive in. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents. I am one of your your creepy hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. I'm a recovering evil person. He's recovering from being evil. We had to take him to a drive-in and trap him in there to get the evil out of him. He almost became a white nationalist, but we got him out of there before that by just by just driving out. So, As someone who's never been to a drive-in, it was a really interesting experience. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, I've been to a drive-in, and we've heard this story in the pod before, but I'll tell it again in a moment. But first, we're spin Polish likingly because we're always spitting... And we both happen to be Polish. Bartek is the man who speaks the language. I'm the man that nods and smiles about him speaking the language and takes his word for it. But as we all know, if we're recurring listeners, Bartek is a very unreliable person because I have consistently in the last few episodes of Spooky Month, the month in which we talk about spooky things, given him homework to do, and he has failed every single fucking time because since last episode, I gave him the homework of share the cool Polish thing about them setting graveyards on fire on our social media and it never happened. Bartek, you're the teacher in real life. How do you feel having failed homework consistently? Uh, I, I guess I forgot the social media part because I did send it to you like right mm-hmm. after the episode. Mm-hmm, but you didn't share it with the listening people who really are desperate to see it. Maybe you'll upload it on the social media before this episode comes out so it makes it look like I'm being an asshole. But we're recording it and you haven't done it, so tut, tut, tut. I was going to make an excuse that I'm a white nationalist, but then I remembered the Polish skin color and I can't use that joke. And then you just remember the Polish uh, hatred that's brewing in the culture currently. So, we- what do they hate? 
<laughs> exactly. Great <laughs> question, women um, and others. So we spin Polish cycling because we're spinning both Polish. We're doing Spooky Month and Pictures Powwow is our show in which we talk about a movie that has come recommended. Bartek recommended a movie. I recommended a movie. And now this episode, our listeners, our listening people, you, you are to blame for choosing this film. Our good friend Lachlan, who has been on the podcast a few times, recommended this film, which is called what, Bartek? It is called Dead End Drive-In. It is an Australian film from the 1980s, so if people have not seen this film before, it is freely available on YouTube for some reason to watch, and it is available elsewhere. We will be talking about spoilers, won't we, Bartek? We'll get, we'll get into the, all the extreme details of this one, won't we? Yes, and the film, the year that the film is from is 1986. Ah, my favourite year. So, let's dive in. Let's drive in! <laughs> let's let let's go to the drive-in. Let's is that a weird was that a weird thing to say? No, let's bold, let's bold, let's rock and roll. Uh that's a Grease 2 reference. Uh so an unappreciated masterpiece. Bartek, history, relationship, dead end drive-in. Go. Um, once upon a time I was doing a podcast on a film called The Love Witch. And at the end, uh you told me about this film Dead End Drive-In. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, that's what I'm going to do next week. Inaccurate. You saw it be commented on our thread on Facebook about films we should do. Yes, that's right. That's the forgotten history. The the forgotten dark dark history in the in the never never times. Yeah. <sighs> this is one. Did you say this was one of the older recommendations? That's yeah. I think it was like last year or the year before. It's just been sitting there. It was like, you should watch this for Spooky Month, but we had already chosen Spooky Month things, and then we're like, we'll get to it, and then here we are, and we got into it, Lachlan. You should be proud, because my history is I'd never heard of this film. My family has never heard of this film. I asked my mum and dad about this, and they're like, I've never heard of this movie before. And so my history is I knew nothing of it other than Lachlan, our friend, talks about it and he's like yeah it's this great idea about like this mad max type thing in which they're stuck in a drive-in and and it's like a microcosm of culture and i honestly can't remember now if lachlan thinks this is a good movie in a genuine way or good movie and it had the potential to be better or it's good in trashy fashion or if he actually just doesn't like it and wanted us to do it just because we are renowned for doing films that most people think are trashy. Uh, I don't remember now, but I do remember the sentiment of really wanting us to discuss it. So mm-hmm. that is basically it. I knew none of the actors in this movie, uh, and then I looked them up and I continued to not know any. So I also have even less of an attachment to this movie in the fact that I don't know anything or anyone involved with it. How about yourself? Yeah, I don't know anyone in this. Um, not not at all. I was actually wondering, like, oh, I wonder how many of these people Ryan would know. So I'm a bit surprised, like, oh, damn. Usually I'm the fake Australian here. Yeah, you're the fakey. Um, so let's just talk about Dead End Driving. What were you expecting when walking into this film, and what did you get? Uh, I walked into this incredibly blind. I didn't know anything other than the title. Um, it was only, like, shortly before I watched the film that I actually reconfirmed that it was from the 80s. 
Um, so that gave me an idea of like, okay, well, this, this isn't like a modern film. This is a eighties film. Um, and yeah, I, I, again, because I'm a fake Australian, I didn't really know, um, if this film had any sort of cultural significance or like renown. Um, so I was walking in just expecting like, okay, let's, let's assess the film for what it is. And maybe that will give me an idea of its reputation. And so was, yeah, incredibly blind. Um, yeah, this is obviously a B grade film. So mm-hmm. I can imagine that not too many people may have seen it, but who knows? Maybe there is a cult fandom out there. Yes. And how did you go with this? I had a decent time with it. Um, it was, you know, it's, I was surprised that it was, cause again, walking completely blind. I didn't know what the significance of the drive in was. It was kind of like a post apocalyptic survival, the prisoner kind of thing. Um, which, you know, it was, it was an interesting idea. It was interesting to see it play out. Um, I, I, I recognize it for what it is. It's, it's not a film that's meant to be about, you know, uh, solving a wider issue. It's about, you know, getting through the situation that you're in. Yeah, that's interesting. So I hated this movie. I thought mm-hmm. it failed on basically every single level. I had no investment. I thought the actual pitch of it is ludicrous and not in a fun way, but in a way that I found just infuriating to tears. Uh, the idea of you're trapped in this drive and you watch the film for like however long it goes, bend over backwards and break its back several times to justify that. You're stuck in this drive and oh, why can't I get out? Because they'll arrest you if you walk on the road. Like, okay. <laughs> you can't, and I can't take. I can't take other people's tires because I need matching tires. <laughs> the way it's structured to make it that he can't escape was 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 very bad. My God, Frank would get angry. Uh, so I hated this, uh, and I don't. Are you shocked to hear that? Um. I mean, based on how this episode was going so far, I was seeing it coming. <laughs> but when you were watching it, did you think how how I was going to feel or react to this? Because I, I, I'm a bit surprised that you seem far more positive about it than I was expecting. I was most probably expecting you to be neutral about it. Didn't really think you'd hate it. Mm. Okay, so... The movie exists, and that is a compliment I'll give it. It exists. There was a funny moment at the beginning in which they threw a knife at a Rambo poster for a Rambo movie that doesn't exist. So that was funny. And that was it. That was it. That's my positives done. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's really all of it, because I have nothing nice to say after this point. Wow. I was bored and annoyed, and I, yeah, I really didn't enjoy myself with this. I found it just awful, 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 awful. I, okay, so when a movie like this exists, it makes me question certain things in terms of films that influenced this, because I don't think you'll disagree that with this statement, which is this film is 100% unoriginal. Mm-hmm, yep. It is Mad Max. It is Escape from New York. It is The Warriors. 
And I question when I see movies like this, and there were a plethora of them in the 80s and the 90s, it makes me question if if those original movies, Mad Max, uh, The Warriors, and Escape from New York, if they're worth it. Like, like, uh, like I love those movies, but are they worth existing because they bred so many of these fuckers, as did the Terminator films as well? Do you ever get that questioning sense in your brain when you do watch movies like this that are obviously not just unoriginal, but ripping off? these type of these other type of movies um i'd never a sense of like are they were they worth making in the first place or because they're like ruining anything i just see films like these as existing in like the world of b movies and that's a world that not everyone in the mainstream is into only some people are and the people who are into them you know that it's for them so yeah. it's, it's not really something that i'm like oh we're, we're a worse off species because a film like this exists or anything like that no, but it's more like when they made Mad Max, they were mm-hmm. making like a real movie with like their own ambitions and their own artistic dreams and goals. And then that spawned decades and decades of copycats that didn't even try. Like like the Mad Max movies are artistic endeavors in comparison to this. The Warriors mm-hmm. is artistic in comparison to this. Escape from New York and I, I, and 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 we know this. We've talked about this when we did the Terminator. How many movies, even A grade, big budget Hollywood movies, have tried to recapture that formula and failed? And it makes you just, you see it so often that it makes me go, were those original films worth the decades upon decades of copycats? I don't right. know. <laughs> like, because I asked this question to Rachel, and I'll ask it to you: Is there? a film that comes to mind that is as good or just good that is a Mad Max ripoff or a Mad Max wannabe. A post-apocalyptic, everyone's like a sex pest, weirdo, racist, leather leather cladded. Uh, is there a good one that isn't Mad Max? Like, is there? Um, I don't know which ones I've seen, so I don't know that I can answer that, but... Certainly Mad Max is, you know, really well known in society, so maybe not as much, no. What was your opinion when you were watching the movie in terms of its originality or lack thereof? Did you think of any of those movies or others when you were watching it at all? Or did you uh, wholly appreciate it as its own, I I was going to say original thing, but I can't even (laughs) truthfully say that word. I appreciated on what it was showing me, literally, I guess. Yeah. Um, de- well, definitely Mad Max. I've only seen the first one and Fury Road. So, you know, basically, on, I know that apparently Mad Max 2 is the one that people will always point to when it comes to the influential one, right? Road Warrior. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, haven't too, I, I would say all of them, just all of them do. Oh, fair enough, but yeah, I've only seen the first one, and from what I understand, like that one isn't as you know much loved as the second one. Um, yeah, look, I was I was kind of just trying to look at this film for what it was the whole time. So you know, it began with that like eighties music with like the eighties font, and I was like, okay, this is clearly you know made in the eighties. It's it's wearing that on its sleeve. Um. The the sets and locations, like it 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 fits the kind of world that they were going for. 
Um, I, I did get a, a bit of a unintentional chuckle out of like how quickly, because the film begins on like a quick, like, you know, rundown of like, what happened this year? What happened this year? And I was like, as soon as I clicked play, I was like, boom, this year, this thing happened. I was just going through it all. I was like, oh, wow, this is really, you know, jumping right into it. Um, but yeah, I, I really was just trying to look at this film as a product of like, okay, how are they hitting all of these, you know, conventions? So not, not so much like trying to assess it as like this big original thing. Um, and also trying to, again, because I didn't know its reputation or anything like that, I wanted to try and see if like, okay, is there anything like recognizable from this that I may have seen referenced somewhere? Mm. Um, so it, it was very much a, uh, a intellectual, uh, analysis for me. <laughs> I didn't know its reputation either. I walked in and as soon as I saw all of these spray painted cars and leather cladded weirdos who are like obsessed with cars and not even that, as soon as I saw what you just said, the, the text crawl of like what happened in all these years, that was straight up escape from New York. That's just straight escape from New York. Okay. And and I was like, oh, okay, well, other films do text crawls. I'm not going to hold this against it. And I ha- I kept having to do that, where I just go, well, it's not just Mad Mad Max can't like Mad Max isn't the only one allowed to have post apocalyptic Australia in which people are obsessed with cars and wear leather and are covered in spray paint and are racist and violent. But then me just saying that it's like, well, that's super specific though. <laughs> like, like that's super specific, and that's what Mad Max did. It had a super specific thing, and I just, I kept having to do that wrestling match of like, stop thinking about these other movies that is clearly ripping off. But then the movie wasn't offering me anything of its own to make it stop. There was no interesting characters to me. There was no interesting world building to me. There was, the, like I said, the pitch of the movie. The conceit of they're trapped in a drive-in, I found it too silly, and I found that they didn't even think of it well enough. There was just, there was just nothing to that pitch. Like, I, I read the synopsis on IMDb, which is the greatest synopsis ever. If you want to pull it up and you can read it out in a second, in case you haven't read it, it's pretty amazing. But uh... I read it and I went, okay, I got a somewhat uh, a small idea of the movie. They're going to be in a drive-in. And yeah, they're in a drive-in, but I don't know. It's just like the drive-in has like a culture and they're trying to make commentary about how this small thing is actually a commentary on Australia or the world. And I just thought they didn't even try to develop that well enough for me to get over how ludicrous it is that the police are rounding up random people or tricking random people to live in a drive-in. Also, another thought I had was how good would this movie have been if Dan Aykroyd was in charge of it? <laughs> I did think of uh, Nothing But Trouble at one point, yeah. I've got so the synopsis here. Read it out. So, in the future, a health nut and his tag-along girlfriend become trapped in a drive-in theatre that has become a concentration camp for outcast youths who are placated with new wave music, junk food, drugs, exploitation movies, and racism. Amazing. And racism. And <laughs> the way that the synopsis delivers this information is like how the movie does it, where, and then at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, and they're all racist, too. That was, yeah, really kind of abrupt. And him, because there was, 
Yeah, there was the point where, like, the big, long series of trucks came in and, like, they brought out the Asian people and it was like, okay, what's going on here? And it was just suddenly like, oh, uh, we're bringing out the Nazi part of all of these characters that, like, hasn't really been, hasn't really been, hasn't at all really been a thing. Including our main female lead. Yeah. Yeah, which I guess that's, I guess what they're going for there is that, like, she finds herself fitting in like everyone else. Um, but and she takes the bad along with mm-hmm. what she conceives to be the good, but then she has like a a tender ending with our main character, so mm, it's we'll talk about her. We'll give her her own section. What did you like about this movie? Seems like you like it far more than I. I, I said what I like. That was it. <laughs> what do you like? I guess. I guess the, the the pitch is a bit more appealing to me. I I like this idea of um you know being trapped in this place, um you know, be, being forced to try to survive here. Um, there, there was a slight sense of, like, an environment, um, but not not the best. Uh, that's that's a thing. Because we, we, Ryan and I, we recently did an episode on another podcast about the film Oscar, mm. where we talked about, you know, how the environment of that film um, is very memorable and that makes it fun. And I feel like this film is, like, almost halfway there, kind of. Like, you do have this environment that you spend a lot of time in, and you have all of these locations, but you don't really get a sense of, like, the geography or the the wide scale of it. It feels like every single shot is kind of like this, you know, isolated area. Um, but I do think at least that these areas uh, match the tone of the film. Like, you do have all of these, like, you know, really dirty cars which are you know garishly painted um you do get a sense of like the weather there like it feels very like kind of hot to look at you know a lot of sweat going on um so i feel like the the film is like part way there to being you know uh, realized in this sense of like this kind of post-apocalyptic as the synopsis says concentration camp style area um but it, yeah, it does take quite a while to establish everything. Like, I, it took me a while for, it took a while for me to realize that, like, oh, they actually are trapped in there. It's not that, like, you know, the, oh, there, there are laws stopping them from leaving. They actually are, like, locked in. There's, like, all these electric fences. Like, I feel like it took a while for that to get realized. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, so even though, like, the quality of the film wasn't quite up to snuff, um, I do see, like, this kind of concept being a bit more, you know, uh, rough in a sense. So, so even if the the execution wasn't you know masterful, um, I it just comes back to me saying like I took it for what it was, kind of thing. Yeah, but I think one of the interesting things is that's a whole genre of movies, the escape movies. You could watch the film Cube. You could watch The Great Escape. Heck. Parts of every Mad Max movie has this element to it, especially Beyond Thunderdome, where they're in the enemy encampment and have to figure out a way to get out of there and refuse to submit to the tyranny. There's a plethora of these. There's TV shows that do this as well. I'm a big fan of those movies and stories where people are trapped in locate. I mean, that's what the Saw movies are where they're trapped in a location, they have to figure out through their own characteristics and intelligence how to defy the system and break free and get out of there. And I think this film presents that idea, and like that's an age-old tried-and-true idea, but I just could not 
buy into this weird notion that in a a world that's already on the brink of being a Mad Max post-apocalyptic nightmare world, that they have the new, like, the news groups still exist, and, like, nobody knows that this giant uh, drive-in is a concentration camp. Then you go, oh, well, the police dictate the state here, but the police throughout this movie are shown to be, like, really weak and incompetent. It is in the same vein as Mad Max, in which society as a whole is dying and or dead. Thus, the justice system is ineffective. But then, halfway through the movie, they start to play it like, no, 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 this is like a Nazi state in which the police have all the power. And it's like, but that's not what you showed us earlier in the movie. You showed us that everything has broken down and everything's crazy and chaotic. And so... The idea that, oh, well, nobody knows about it because the police are covering it up. It's like, well, that's not what you introduced in the first half. This wasn't introduced like the world is fallen into collapse because of fascism. It's fallen into collapse because of anarchy. And I found it very confusing. And not just that. I mean, I just thought it was a little silly that our characters couldn't break free of a drive-in because a little old man at the front desk would politely tell them that they couldn't. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Like, you know what I mean? Like, come on. And as I said to you, you've got to admit, the film wasn't particularly clever in the ways that it kept him in the drive-in, was it? Or did did you find it clever? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it clever. No, I, I just saw it as like the the yeah. I, I guess the means by which this character would you know develop in some sense. Like at first, he he thought that like you know he would only be there for a while, so he could plan ahead as if he was going to leave soon. Um, but then as the film went on, he started realizing, okay, no, this is, this is deeper than it looks. And so he, that's why he drops the whole like wheel thing. Like at first it was kind of silly, but, um, you know, because I didn't have that sense of like, oh, this actually is a place that they're trapped in. Mm. And the, the, and the old man did mention like, oh, do you want me to call the guy that owns it? I thought like, okay, well, there are means of contacting the outside. Surely at some point he'll, you know be able to use one of those means. But then as the film goes on and it starts introducing these elements, as you're saying, a little too late, that started to become a bit more apparent and I could drop the whole thing of like, oh, he's worried about the wheels. See, him worrying about the wheels, I thought, and with the female character too, the girl, I thought the film was contrived. Oh, he has to care about the wheels because it makes the movie go longer. He sticks onto the whole wheels process for more than half the fucking film. Like, it's ludicrous. And what's the reason? Because Frank will be mad if I brought back the car without the same type of wheels. Yet there comes a point in which the car is covered in spray paint and graffiti. You'd think at that point you would not give a shit about the wheels. But he still gives a shit about the fucking wheels. Or, or... Every day, I've got to make sure to rev the engine and make it and so it can run out of fuel. So then you have yeah. to have a set piece that has fuel. And then, of course, then they take the engine from him. And same with the female character. She's written to be contrived in which she's never on his side from the very beginning. 
From the very beginning, she admits defeat, and I go, what is your character, lady? And we could talk about her character, lady, in a second, but I felt <laughs> like the film constantly was doing that, and constantly having every character being like, you can't break out of here. This isn't fucking, this isn't an actual Nazi concentration camp in which they're pointing guns at them. It's like, when we do see the police that they have trolling, uh, patrolling around the place, there's actually surprisingly few of them. And yet there's 197 people at the beginning of the movie that's in this camp. Like, I just... I I just couldn't get past all the contrived reasons for why this movie kept existing. Like, there has to come a point in the main character's arc in which he's been there for two days or more, in which he must go, oh, you know, fuck the car wheels, because... Frank's going to be upset with the fact that I've had the car longer than a night. Who would give a shit about the wheels at that point? Yeah, that did cross my mind. Like, it's... It, and the movie's like that the whole time. Like, like... and I'm bitching. I'll stop for a moment. What did you think of our characters and the general world of the movie? Because that's a part of the draw with these Mad Max, Snake Plissken, post-apocalyptic nightmare things is... The characters that inhabit them and the world itself. How did you feel about those elements? So the film takes a little while, not that long, but a little while to actually get us to the drive-in. And before that point, it makes a really strong uh, point about these, what are they called? Like car boys? Yep, the car boys. The, the car boys. Um where it feels like, okay, well, this is the antagonistic element of the film. These car boys, mm-hmm. these like crazy youths who want to, you know, damage cars, take things from cars, things like that. Um, and then that really, you know, gave this, them a strong presence because, you know, they're so prevalent in that first part of the film. So it was kind of weird when the film went to this drive in section and if, was was the gang of guys who like the main character talked to throughout the film were they car boys? No, they were just guys that formed their yeah, own I, gang within here. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. It, it felt kind of weird to me that this established element didn't feel like it had that strong a presence once the film, you know, quote unquote, really began. Um, so that was that was an expectation there that I felt wasn't really met. Like maybe there were other car boys in the thing but you know they certainly weren't the focus like the they weren't the, the antagonists the, once he got in there yeah yeah you had the 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 nice old man the quote-unquote nice old man you had the police and you had like the the people who led like the white supremacists yeah um, who i you, argue would be the least antagonistic group because outside of them just hitting him with a cricket bat and all of that and then him beating them with a rock they honestly didn't even try to be antagonists towards him. If anything, they were kind of bummed that he didn't want to be their friend. Yeah, it was kind of like this weird Malfoy situation, if anything. Like, the the cowboys seemed like they would be, yeah, more more proactive in, in mm. being the antagonists of this film. But them, it, would, it was, they were mostly all talk. Like, obviously, there was a fight scene with one of them, but once that was over with and, you know, had that dramatic ending of, like, oh, Shit, he hit you with a brick. With the most and annoying then, one, too, by the way. I'm just yeah, going to say it. The, the loudest one. The annoying. No, um, no, no see- annoying. <laughs> annoying. Well, are you going to say you yes, liked but- him? <laughs> no, no, no. I, um... What was I going to say? Um... 
fuck, I had a point. He had a point, and then I had the <laughs> reference that the guy was annoying. That yeah, they they fought him in that one scene, but outside of that, those characters yeah, that fa- didn't really have much to do antagonistically. Even their white yeah. supremacy, they didn't even do anything. They just talked. Yeah, that was kind of the climax of their antagonism, and considering that was like the third last thing that they do in the film, you know, that's that was kind of disappointing. Um. Yeah, it, it felt like, cons- especially considering these carboys that were established early on, you know, th- those guys didn't take shit. Those guys, you know, would attack just from seeing you. These guys felt kind of, you know, weaker or less interesting in comparison to that. And that's, you know, a very, a very basic thing. Like, oh, they're, they're bad guys who will attack you when they see you. That's, that's simple, but it, it's something more than what these guys have, I guess. So you like the um, outside world and characters more than once you got into the actual movie's pitch, which is the drive-in. I, I wouldn't say that. I would just say that at least that was something and that was a setup that we had um, that didn't quite get paid off. But yeah, yeah. it's... Yeah, now that I'm you know talking about it more, it, it is... I am seeing, yeah, a lot of these kind of red flags being raised. There was a moment... And I want I want to get back to talking about like positive things of because even then you we we both kind of just went into what didn't work. I still want to talk about like characters and the world itself and things of that that did work for you. But there mm-hmm. was a moment that I felt, and this is me. I got a big red marker, and I'm just marking through the script saying you've missed something here or you completely dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. When he escapes at the end, our main character. One of the methods of him trying to escape is him getting the tow truck. Uh, like knocking guy out and getting a tow truck and driving out and he fails, but he, he you know, that's part of his journey of escaping and it makes everything yep. go crazy. Were you not expecting one of the tow truck drivers to be his brother? And then it's like a dramatic thing that his brother is actually a part of the system. When, um, when the when the when the large group of Asians were brought in, I saw that one of the trucks was a tow truck. The thought did cross my mind of like, oh, maybe the brother will show up. I never had the idea that like, oh, maybe he's part of the system. But I did think that yeah, he would show up again, at least in that kind of capacity. Well, but you know, like a part of the cog of this machine, like he is a tow truck driver for what is happening here at the drive-in. Like, wouldn't that wouldn't that have been yes something? Yeah, I had that exact thought, and it didn't happen. <laughs> because real talk, why was his brother a tow truck driver in the story, other than it was a thing that you could put in there? What did it serve narratively in the end, when they didn't pay that off in the way that they could have when they do introduce at the end tow truck drivers being an important part of the plot? Yeah, narratively nothing. I guess the best you could say is that it gave him an excuse to go to a, you know, scene of a car crash and, like, talk to the news reporters for some world building. Um, And that's, you know, like, seven minutes into the film and that's done. Yeah. It's an idea that they didn't follow through on, and I don't even know if they realized it was an idea that they could follow through on. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know. Yeah. But back to positives or things that you did like character character wise or world wise, do you do you have any the any that leap to mind? Uh the main one is uh the the mindset of the prisoners at the drive in. So clearly the thing that they're going for with them is that um, you know, these young people, they don't have anything going for them in their lives. 
and the fact that they have been entrapped in this, you know, like, colourful dystopia um, is this kind of excuse for them to not try anymore. So, mm-hmm. obviously, that means, you know, oh, well, we can't escape, we're forced to be here, we're given all this, like, food and cheap entertainment and we can kind of do what we want within these boundaries um, is, is you know, the, their escape from real-life responsibilities. Um, and it was... And with our main two characters, the uh, titular couple of, what was it? The uh, the health nut and his tag-along girlfriend. Mm. Um, the way that they responded to that world uh, was different, and uh, I like that that reflected, like, the, their separation, why they separated. So, like, obviously the girlfriend also didn't have much going for her in her life, and so she found herself fitting into the society, whereas our main character... Um, he saw that this was wrong and, you know, he's the one that, he's the only one that's making an effort to leave. Uh, I thought at the center of it, that idea was interesting, um, and in some ways relatable, uh, since, you know, responsibility is a big thing in life and, um, moments where you are, you know, you, you've got no choice. It might be better to just, you know, uh, succumb to it and live in what you're given. Um, that's the main uh concept that i liked awesome i i was listening and i'm like i'm glad you enjoyed those aspects i didn't but i'm glad you did i i don't know it could have been a lot better but yeah <laughs> i just don't think this film had an original bone in its body thus it couldn't come up with anything of its own and since it didn't know how those things it's emulating successfully did those things it fails this film to me has nothing to say this is just uh, a gimmick like don't you want to see mad max but inside a drive-in don't you want to see a clockwork orange but inside a drive-in this film is for an exploitation film or an exploitation film or a film that is supposed to be cult classic type of thing it lacks teeth this feels like it's so afraid to actually delve into any gritty matters yet it feels the need to also try like the racism aspect of the movie is introduced so late and really serves no purpose yet it feels like it's there so that it can as a movie pat itself on the back and say see i'm in the big boy club now because these movies do these things except for it, the movie doesn't understand that these movies introduce racism bigotry violence sexual violence sexuality uh, uh all of this stuff with a theme in mind, a purpose in mind, a commentary in mind, the racism aspect in the movie comes in so late and it makes you think maybe they should have introduced this so much earlier into the film because that was the only part in the movie in which I actually understood that the film was trying to utilize this community in the drive-in to reflect back onto our culture in the real world and basically say, look at us. How do you feel about how, how small-minded and angry and bitter and hopeless we can be as a society and as a culture and how we take these irrational things and externalize them into hate? But... It probably that that element of the movies like maybe less than five minutes. 
yeah, it, I think it was a little longer, but yeah, it was really disappointing because you you know you establish the um the large truck full of Asians, you see some of them looking very sad, and then you have the toilet scene where the guy with the turban comes in. And our main character, like, defends him, and the guy's, like, clearly really happy. And that introduces another narrative possibility of, oh, look, here's a friend for our main character. Maybe they could work together on, you know, solving the situation. But in the end, it just existed to attempt to make the message you just said, and narratively to get everyone out of the way for the final action scene. And to give our hero a white saviour moment. That too, yes. That too. I Okay, so for instance, you and I we're white. Yes. Mm-hmm. But we have funny last names in the for Australian culture. You and I both in our lifetime have experienced forms of bigotry because of just that. In this movie, they introduce that our main character is an Italian who has a mama who speaks with the thick Italian accent that's cartoony. And at no mm-hmm. point does anyone in the film, display bigotry against him for that. Like, if you're going to introduce this bigotry and racism aspect in the movie, you could thread it through from the very beginning. Because, again, I will ask you, why did they introduce that element of his character at all? If they didn't do anything with it. I can only think for a funny little interaction. That was about it. What funny interaction? Just the mum being like this kind of Italian mum, like you are small with the the accent. Sorry, I forgot that that was supposed to be funny (laughs) because I didn't laugh. Well, I mean, (laughs) okay, well, it's but it it stood out in the film, right? I don't know. So early in the film, I was just taking the film as it went along, and so by the end, I kind of forgot she existed, and I kind of forgot that he was set up as an Italian Australian character. I don't know. Yeah, I did too. Why they did, but like you're saying, it was just for a brief little joke, but like. If the film wanted to actually be a good film, utilize that aspect to further delve into the commentary you're having about bigotry, about racism, because, especially in the 1980s, the bigotry and racism towards Italians and Greeks and so on and so forth was also as prevalent as it was against Asian people. Obviously, this film's going for the Asian people aspect, but again, here's something. Is the film in turn accidentally perpetuating racial sentiments because none of the Asian people in this movie are characters. They're actually faceless things to just do we, throw slurs at. Do we only see them in that one scene? Yeah, we don't even see them spread around. We don't even see white people doing bad things to them except for the toilet scene. And that And that scene doesn't even start with them doing it to him straight away they they they're annoying our main character it's just i don't know it it's an aspect of the movie that feels so inconsequential that i feel like it in turn is accidentally being racist on its own because it's it's just having racism in there but not displaying any nuances to it and not having any actual commentary about it mm yeah, I I don't know that I would go so far as to say that it's making a harmful impact, but I'm definitely not disagreeing with the idea that it didn't have much to say there other than you know kind of what we already knew. Like the main our main character even has like a little like oh yeah I get it Heil Hitler right Mein Führer mm-hmm. kind of thing going on. And it was just like oh yeah that's that's the point. It's like you guys are acting like Nazis. 
Yeah. Um, any other positives you want to talk? Because I feel like I'm hijacking it being like, negatives, negatives. But evidently, people like this. The YouTube comments say people like it. I think Lachlan likes this. You like this. What are other things about this movie that were enjoyable? Scenes or lines of dialogue or ideas or characters or, or visuals? What do you want to talk about? Um... I guess not so much that this was a huge positive or anything like that, but it, I thought it was a little bit interesting seeing, um, the interactions with the, uh, the, the old man running the drive-in. Um, because again, early on when I didn't really get the sense that this was a concentration camp kind of entrapment situation, um, I was, you know, trying to assess like, okay, well, where, where is this guy lying? Where is he telling the truth? And it felt like, yeah, it was mostly like lies by omission, but but he did seem like he was just doing his job kind of thing. He didn't really feel too malicious until obviously near the end where the gun was on him. Um, mm. So yeah, it, it was, even though in the end it wasn't like a huge thing to like talk about, like, oh, this is this character's aspects and why he was interesting. It, it was at least interesting just watching the film and seeing like, okay, so what is the deal with this guy? Um, and also there, this film does have a bit of like, uh, especially at the beginning montage where like, uh, an eighties vibe to it. They got the eighties music, mm. the eighties font, this kind of eighties running montage kind of thing. Uh, I, I don't mind that kind of stuff. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Anything else? What do you think about the action in this action movie? It really wasn't much of an action movie. Again, it was like pre-drive-in and then the climax of the film, and I guess if you want to counter the fight with the annoying man. Um, yeah, it wasn't really much of an action film. Mm, well, uh, yeah. I, I guess when he drove up the ramp and threw the, the star sign, that was like a bit of a moment of like, oh, yeah, there that's a profound thing. He's ramming through the star, the symbol of this place, but... I feel like that was the main one. Other than that, it was mostly just chases. Well, chases are part of action. Yeah. In these type of movies. I, I'm i trying to think. Yeah, the old guy, he was fine. He was the best actor. That's why he also stood out. He was also the only one allowed to give have material that was acting. Because, like you said, he's hiding things. He's lying and omitting the truth. And maybe he is telling the truth. And it gives the actor something to sink their teeth into. While our main guy... His whole entire acting range is from the writing of a character that is focused on one thing and one thing only, and they have to walk next to people who say, you can't do that thing, and that's all they say. You can't do that. Hey, main guy, you can't. Don't you get it, main character? It's hopeless. Don't you get it? The film can't show us that it's hopeless. The film has to tell us by having characters say it's hopeless over and over and over and over again. That's an aspect of the movie that I felt really dropped the ball. In the Mad Max films, in uh, uh, Escape from New York, the world itself gives you this understanding of why everyone's beaten down and chaotic and hopeless. When you're in the drive-in, I don't know. It just Everyone just kept saying it's hopeless, but I never really felt like the film captured wholly the idea of beating everyone down into submission to the point of them not even willing to escape, especially with newcomers like his girlfriend. I just... I didn't buy it. 
Didn't buy it for a single second. I don't, yeah, I really don't think they were going for a kind of hopeless thing. Like, obviously, the um, every character walks up to him and says, "You can't do this. It's pointless. It's hopeless. You cannot escape from here. It's hopeless. You can't do this." And he's like, "Well, I can." Yeah, yeah, but a lot of them, like they, they seem to want to stay in the situation that they've they've succumbed to it, and they, even though it's obviously not a good situation, it is like impeding on you know, what life is meant to be about, you know, freedom and, and mm-hmm. you know, doing whatever you want with your life. Um, they they feel that they now kind of belong there, and our main character is the only one that kind of resists that. So when I see them saying, like, you know, it's hopeless, don't try, it feels like more of a join us kind of thing. Yeah, and obviously yeah. there, is a, there is a horror to that, um, mm. but... But I, I, I don't see it. So, I, I see it so much as, yeah, them being used, but they're happy with it because they're being, you know, manipulated by all the situations they're in. I think you need to demonstrate the rationale of why they become that way. Because I still can't help but think about when these people first got locked in there, how were they not like him? And what made that change? And the film takes so long giving out little breadcrumbs as to why. Like, hearing people's backstories as to why they're stuck there, it takes a surprisingly long time into the movie. Or he even finding out that the fence is electrified takes a long time to figure out. Like, the aspects of the movie of what is trapping him, them in there feels like it takes quite a while to actually introduce. So all you're having is characters saying... You can't get out of here. And it's like, I'm going to get out of here. And everyone being like, you're a crazy guy. You can't get out of here. To me, the film does need to demonstrate the reasons for why people are beaten down into submission. Because they are. They're beaten down into submission. They had rough lives and they've accepted being there. But they still had, at one point, free will. And so I needed the film to do with the abilities it has, like all of these films do, including Nazi war films in which you're saying it's a concentration camp. Guess what? Concentration camp movies show you the brutality of why people don't resist anymore. Here, it, it, I just... I just... Once they showed me that fucking diner <laughs> and everyone's like playing jukeboxes <laughs> and roller skating around the place, I was just like, no. I can't. I can't. I can't buy this. I just... I could never get past it. Uh, can we talk about the female character? What's her name? Do you remember? Uh, oh, uh, it wasn't Carmen. 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 What did you think of her? Um, she was a character in the 1986 film Dead End Driving. Um, <laughs> she, um, she, uh, she uh, exists to be the. Uh, the character of our main pair. It's kind mm. of interesting, even considering her main character, considering it was really just this main guy. Um, but in, in terms of us following the film, the events of them coming to the drive-in, you know, this is our main duo, sort of. Um, she exists to be the one who is succumbing and uh, wanting to stay at the drive-in, in contrast to our main character. Immediately. In very very quickly, yeah. Unrealistically, um, mm-hmm. yeah. They, they, yeah, they, they. Uh, yeah, shortly after the the wheels are stolen and the main character is like trying to resolve the situation, taking steps and 
from that point on, she's just like, well, get over, let's just sleep and, you know, stick around. Um, yeah, for, and from that point on, she just mainly exists for the main character to come back to and, like, you know, follow, kind of recap what he's thinking, what his plans are. And she is not really having much of it to the point that, like, when our main character is, like, really frustrated at the fact that, like, things are not going his way, she thinks that it's her and she and they're not really communicating about you know the fact that no there is actually some really you know real shit going on here that i'm dealing with and it has nothing to do with you she sides immediately with white supremacists over her own boyfriend yeah her own as you said before italian boyfriend who they could have done something with i okay she exists for three reasons only and they're all very disparaging reasons, and you may say I'm being too mean or cynical, but I watched this with my wife, Rachel, who also hated this movie, and she and I talked about I said, when you watch movies like this, how does it make you feel as, as a woman? And she's like, it's watching us be regressed as a gender. So take that into consideration. I think of her as three things in the movie. The chick to get her tits out and have sex. Mm-hmm. The yep. obstacle and the forced yep. sentimental heart of our main character in terms of every now and then they have almost like the Garth Marenghi type moment in which everything's serious and silly is going on and then they'll turn and be like, I love you. Like, that's how she exists. She exists in those three modes to be fucked, to be, to fuck our character up in terms of like just saying, no, you can't do this, and to be that teary-eyed, emotional heart of the movie because they were in love and now he has to let her go and she's accepted her fate. And she's never a real character. She never has her own agency. She's a device in the script. She's a device of a character. She never felt genuine. She felt annoying. She felt on purposely antagonistic, but in a way that felt artificial. She was never a real person. I don't understand any of her motivations. I don't understand why she thinks she needs to stay there. Especially when the film introduces us to her and she has like a whole group of friends. It wasn't like as if she was a loner when we met her either. Like it's 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 and since the film doesn't mm. spend enough time with her, you don't understand why she feels the need to team up with white supremacy. I mean, when she introduces the fact that she is a supremacist herself, I I I that's when the movie lost me completely because they never built up to this. There was never even yeah, any little I... warning signs or any lit anything. Yeah, that part was not good. Yeah, but that's the rest of the movie. <laughs> that's the rest of the movie for that point. It's I don't know. I she I felt was another harmful aspect of the movie, and I'm not saying that the film is intentionally being harmful. I'm just saying it is by its existence. There are so many moments in this movie that are supremely dated, or just supremely lazy, or toxic, or or just tr- trite. And I'm sure the people who love this movie and the me people who make this movie are like, it's a part of the genre. Look at Mad Max. Look at these other movies that do these things. As I say, these movies, the good ones, do these things with a purpose, with a commentary, with a theme, with a message, with a statement in mind. Here, she's just doing it because it's an obstacle. And so, 
And she's the woman, too. We've talked about this on the podcast before, how many writers, A-grade or D-grade, will write female characters in a certain way in which you can just sum it up as, oh, they wrote her like that because she's the woman of the movie. And she's got to do- mm-hmm. meet these certain standards of being the woman. Yep. I don't know what else to say about Dead End Driving. Anything else you've got to say about this? How did you feel about it as an entry for Spooky Month? Did it give you the spooks? The creeps? Uh, in terms of it being a dystopian setting, I feel that that qualifies it. Other than that, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just what it is. Anything else you want to say about this before uh, we wrap it out? I think we've covered it all, yeah. So I have some YouTube comments here that I thought would be very fun. We're going back old school. (laughs) So this is on YouTube. Someone commented that Ned Manning, who's the main actor, is actually my drama teacher. That's nice. And And then immediately one of the first comments is, those that can't do teach has never been truer. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? Did you think our main guy was a bad actor in this? And also, did you know that he said he was like in his early 20s, but he was actually 36? I read the trivia about that part, yeah. I don't know. I I thought he was okay in the role. I didn't think he was that bad. He was very bad in the beginning. When he was like in the real world, like in the outside world, where he was like, I'm beefing up. I'm beefing up. I'm, I'm bulking up. I found him very embarrassing, (laughs) but once he became, like, the protagonist that had to escape, he was serviceable. I wouldn't say good. Every time I looked at him, I kept thinking, like, oh, this is, like, a really small Tony Abbott. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And another person commented my belief, which is, I won't read the full comment because there's a few details, but I'll just read the first sentence in which they said, I don't know why people say this is a good movie. And then they go on to say that they lived in the suburb that this was made in. But they said, but honestly, this is perhaps the worst Aussie film I've ever seen. And there's some debates in the comments. And then one person ends the entire conversation by saying, haters will hate. Get back to watching the Twilight Saga. Ah, so that's what you're going to watch next with your wife. I don't know. (laughs) Like, that's such a weak defense of liking this movie like somebody doesn't like this movie that must mean they like twilight saga that's why they came to an aussie exploitation film and they say for a piece of that medium it's a it's a failure of that they must want to watch twilight like it's just such a like such a weak source like throwback comment we should find actual Twilight fans and see what they think of this film and that sentiment well well I got Rachel to watch it she didn't enjoy it so Oh, damn. Well, maybe she should go back to watching the Twilight Saga. Yeah, probably. Probably. I'll, I'll, I'll tell her that. And she'll be like, of course, I will do that right now. That's it. Dead End Drive-In, a movie that exists. Possibly one of my least favorites that we've done outside of the mystery box. I mean, this is nowhere near as offensive as the mystery box. I will point that the poster for the movie is disingenuous. Um... I don't know if that's the main guy on the poster or if that's a character in the movie, but, like, the movie poster has some guy with, like, Alice Cooper-looking makeup on it, and that didn't really reflect what this movie actually had in it. Like, the guy looks like the crow, for fuck's sake. And I don't... Was this guy in the movie? Did I miss... Is that our main guy? 
No, that's not the main guy. He doesn't look like Tony Abbott, so... This was like know, one of it, the car boys, I'm sure. And it's like, yeah. this makes it seem like this is about him and he's like a villain or like a hero. Or, but no, no, no. Apparently, Quentin Tarantino likes this movie, so what do I know? Hmm? You're on the winning side, Bartek. <laughs> yeah, you I guess I am. You an accomplished filmmaker. Um, <laughs> love this movie so what what the fuck do i know i I, i'm not gonna read it but one of the imdb comments is please replace the speaker on its stand before leaving that's the title eight out of ten stars (laughs) all right bartek you are recommending our last entry for spooky month in our spooky month spectacular and by last you mean second last no it will be our last entry because we will be oh. my next episode will release on the 2nd of november you're right yes so you're right you will be giving us our last entry and you have your uh uh what do we call them you have your rules you're sticking to so is this the foreign film or non-american yeah, this... film film you're choosing yes it's my non-american pick so let's hear what you are capping us off on for Spooky Month 2021. Yep. Uh, I'm going with another Japanese film. It's a 2010 film called Confessions. Confessions. Or Koku Haku is the Japanese title. Live action? Live action. So, subs? Yes, sir. I don't know. Would there be dubs for this? I imagine... I, I know that animated ones get lots of dubs, but do non-live-action like live action ones, do they bother with dubs as much? I'm sure they do, but I don't know about this film. Well, Confessions from 2010, you said. Yep. So, Japanese film, and we will be talking about that next time. Don't get it confused with Confessions of Shopaholic. In which we've already covered that on the show before, or, haven't we, Bartek? Yes, or Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor, the Tyler Perry classic. Yes, so, and fun fact, it's on both Stan and Amazon Prime at the moment. Ooh. That's well, cross-pollination. That's it, Bartek. Could you please tell everyone where they can find us on the internet? On the internet, you can find us at Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and many other places. We always go by the name Spit and Polish Presents. Look for the two sausages. I'm the one with the beard. Um, yep, Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents, Facebook, Spit and Polish Presents, YouTube as well. And our episodes are uploaded on many platforms, first at Podbean, and that gets spread out to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spanish streaming service, which title we forget, and all the other ones, all the podcatchers. Is it? Something Julio, like that. our friend from the Contrarians, told us how to pronounce it correctly, and I've already forgotten. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're on quite a lot of them. If you just go to Google, type in Spit and Polish Presents, and maybe throw in the name Bartek Orion, you'll find us easily. There you go. Pleasure talking terrible movies with you, Bartek, uh, as, as is tradition, apparently. Um, every year we'll get a spooky movie that you either like and I don't, or you don't like and I like. So here we are. Neon Demon last year, this one this year. What will it well, be next ha- year? <laughs> we have to make up for our big differences on the mystery box some way. Yeah, yeah, this is karma coming at me. 
<sighs> All right. Well, that's it. Uh, Bartek, how do you want to leave us off on this episode? Um, well, actually, there's something I wanted to say. Uh, it's very important because if I don't say it, you know, bad things will happen. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, you remember last week when I told you that thing? Which thing? Oh, you... F- okay, I'll remind you. So there was a thing where... <laughs>